Welcome everyone. This is No Need to Argue with Kobe Wittick. Welcome to the show, everyone. This is No Need to Argue with Kobe Wittick. It is November 12th, Monday Night Football tonight. Uh, what a matchup we have. Giants and San Francisco 49ers. I know that this is not exactly what the schedulers were planning the records of these two teams when they scheduled this Monday night matchup, but it is Monday night football. We have NFL for yet one more night this week before Thursday night football, so I'm going to enjoy the game no matter what happens, so uh, you know we'll see what happens there, but um, definitely check me out on Twitter at no need 2 a at no need number two a um let me know what you think about the show uh definitely love and appreciate everyone who is listening and and checking in on a weekly basis and i do have to start by apologizing for missing you guys last thursday uh you know had some things come up and unfortunately wasn't able to get on the show like i wanted to so i do apologize but uh let's go ahead and get this week started a lot of good games this weekend uh, a lot of upsets a lot of things that took place and i and i'm kind of upset that i wasn't able to get my upset picks in uh the on thursday last week because i i was kind of picking one that did happen and i picked it on my pickums, so i can't you know come out here and say that i would have picked it and just because it happened now that I'm uh, you know, here on Monday after all of the results are punched. But I did pick one of the upsets that took place yesterday on both of my NFL pickums that I'm in every single week. So I do have some resources and backing to that pick. But we will definitely get into that here in just a little bit. There is the bell, so let's go ahead and get this thing started. You know what time it is. You gotta be kidding me. First one up, Vance McDonald on Thursday Night Football. Game was a total blowout. Complete and utter blowout. Uh, You know, the Carolina Panthers, you know, they're one of those teams that's just weird. You know, some weeks they show up and they look so dominant like they did in 2015. And other weeks they show up like, you know, they don't even belong on the same field as some of these other teams. And that was one of the... One of the games, unfortunately, on Thursday night to watch. I was very excited about the matchup. I think everybody was considering these two teams and you know playoff potential and everything else that these two teams are working for and what they've been building towards. And you know the Steelers just kind of ran away with this thing. But you know what really drove me crazy for this segment was Vance McDonald's touchdown catch that they ruled a catch. And I think what drives me crazy about this catch rule is that it was so you know, lopsided for so long with what is a catch, what isn't, and so many catches were getting turned over because of, you know, some of the rules in place with, you know, I didn't totally disagree with a lot of the rules in place, but people had problems with them. And I'll tell you why people had so much angst, I think, towards the catch rules over the past two, three years is because of fantasy football. You know, the NFL has brought in such a large amount of new viewers to NFL games every single week because of fantasy football and because you have people that maybe don't really know football or, you know, maybe know it just a little bit or like to watch every now and then. And, you know, you get into a fantasy football league with some friends or coworkers and, you know, it just kind of makes it a little bit more competitive, makes it a little more exciting to watch the NFL games and root for you know, the guys that you drafted that are on your roster. And, 
you know, with that, you want to try and keep, you know, those people happy in a sense where if you have more catches, if you have more offensive plays where those fantasy numbers start to add up, then you get people a little bit more excited about watching every single game, no matter the matchup. And I can tell you like tonight with Monday Night Football, there's going to be millions and millions of people tuning into this game for the sole reason of fantasy football because they have Odell Beckham Jr. They have Saquon Barkley on their teams and it's Monday night, so they probably need a good, you know, 20, 30 points out of these guys maybe to get a win, or maybe they need, you know, two or three guys to get five to six points and they can pull out a victory. Uh, you know, so that's kind of the key to, you know, a lot of these matchups may not be the best on paper, but you're going to get tons of viewers because of fantasy football and what that really means to the viewership of NFL games. But what drove me crazy about the catch with Vance McDonald's, it's in the back of the end zone. I don't know if you've seen it yet. You can go on YouTube. You can go online, watch the game recap, and watch the catch. But as I'm sitting here watching it right now, you know, he makes the initial catch, and then as he goes to the ground out of bounds, the ball is moving around. And you can see both of his hands moving around the ball to try and secure the catch as he's going out of bounds and is on the ground. I mean, he doesn't truly secure the catch with both hands where that ball is not moving around and totally secure until he hits the freaking goal post. And they go back and review every single scoring play and they still give him this touchdown. And I got to tell you, it means nothing to the game. They're blowing him out already. This touchdown just kind of adds to, you know, that score and some fantasy numbers for anybody who had Ben Roethlisberger and Vance McDonald. But that is not a catch. If he's bobbling that ball after he's not even in the end zone anymore, he's on the ground, that ball's still moving, his hands are still rolling around it, trying to secure it as he hits the goalpost, it's not a touchdown. So stop going so far in the other direction with these catch rules that you just give anybody any catch no matter what. Like it's getting a little ridiculous with how, you know, the catches this year have been ruled a catch in the sense that, you know, we're trying to kind of correct some of the problems we've had in the last few years with so many complaints and, you know, everyone talking about the catch rule, but it's not a catch. And I'm sorry, I like Vance McDonald. I think he's a great tight end. I think that, you know, he's a really big part of that offense, especially when you get in down to the red zone. But it's not a catch, guys. Come on, NFL. Like, referees, NFL, all the committees and everyone else. Like, you got to kind of relook at this catch rule and understand that if the ball is bobbling around, yeah, he may have, you know, kind of secured it briefly while his feet were in bounds. But if he's going to the ground and the ball's moving around and he never really secured it, like, Let's get real, people. That was not a catch. And there's no need to argue about that. You gotta be kidding me. Next one up here. How about the Buffalo Bills? Oh my gosh, what a game they had. Matt Barkley comes in as their fourth starting quarterback of this season. And you can just tell that this team totally, I mean, took off. And I know the Jets are... You know, no opponent whatsoever unless they're playing the Broncos. But, I mean, it was really kind of funny to watch just how well the Bills played. They got their get-right game, you know, kind of late in the season. Week 10, they were able to go into New York and just kind of correct some of the problems they've been having. LaShawn McCoy had his coming-out party. He's been dealing with, 
you know, injuries and different things this year. And he comes out and rushes for 113 yards with two touchdowns, just tears it up. Matt Barkley comes in. They don't ask him to do a lot. You know, LaShawn McCoy is able to handle the ball on the ground. And Matt Barkley goes 15 to 25, 232 yards, two touchdowns. And I think the biggest accomplishment was no interceptions. That's something that has really been a problem for every single Bills quarterback that has played this year. And, you know, Matt Barkley comes in, he doesn't turn the ball over, he controls the game. And how about some of the touchdowns that they scored? I mean, Deion Dawkins, <laughs> 300 and however many pound lineman gets in there on a tackle eligible and scores a touchdown for him. I mean, they had everything going right for him. And, you know, it was just kind of crazy to watch, you know, these two teams, both of them really needed a win. You got, you know, you were planning on kind of having Josh Allen versus Sam Darnold showdown here in New York. And unfortunately, with, you know, injuries and everything else that has taken place with the Bills, you have Matt Barkley come in and uh, really be efficient, have a great game. And they put up 41 points on the Jets. I mean, it's just kind of crazy to think that all these teams can go in and just blow out the Jets and completely own them uh, on every you know, facet of the game, and yet the Denver Broncos get whooped by the Jets. And, uh, you know, it's kind of sad that the Broncos and the Jets potentially could end up with the exact same record at the end of the year. And there's no need to argue about that. You gotta be kidding me! Next one up, Quentin Nelson. Oh my gosh, if you listen to any of my draft, NFL draft episodes... Back in March, April, I mean, you know how high I was on Quentin Nelson. And I thought that he was a game changer. I mean, he comes from, you know, Notre Dame, a program that is known for their offensive linemen. And, you know, the I was I was saying the Broncos should draft him. I even said in one episode that the Cleveland Browns should have drafted him to help out Baker Mayfield and that running game and everything that they were trying to build there in Cleveland. But, you know, lucky for the Colts, he drops down to the Indy pick. They go ahead and pick him up, understanding that they need to protect their franchise quarterback, Andrew Luck, who is on a tear lately. 3-0 and are the Colts in the past three weeks, and Andrew Luck is just tearing it up like he did his rookie year. But Quentin Nelson, I mean, this play, if you haven't seen it, you got to go check it out. It's on the game recap, uh, you know, on NFL. But they run a they run a draw. They run a little draw play with their running back, and they pull Quentin Nelson and uh, both guards. And Quentin Nelson, oh gosh, I mean, he just he pulls around to the right and just meets Barry Church, number forty two for the Jaguars, I mean, right in the hole. And Barry Church is coming in hot, thinks he's going to get a tackle, and next thing you know, he's on his back. And Quentin Nelson just pancakes him so... I mean, he makes it look so easy where he just lowers the shoulder and just plants it on him and falls right on top of him to rub it in. And, I mean, it was just... I'm watching it, and it's just... You watch that hit, and it just... Oh man, it just raises the hairs on the back of your neck and makes me want to throw on the pads again because those are the hits that you just love to see that you expect to see when you draft a lineman like Quentin Nelson as high as they did. And I tell you what, this guy is going to build that offensive line like crazy. 
and uh, you know he's going to be the cog and the focal point of you know the the Colts offensive line moving forward and and what a focal point he is. But uh, you know for for the Jaguars, Barry Church, man, you, you're going to need some church. Uh, you know, after that hit and, uh, you know, get yourself back up, shake it off, you know, maybe get the, uh, you know, snot rocket off of your lips because that was one heck of a hit. And if that's not an ESPN top 10 play of the weekend, I don't know what is. And there's no need to argue about that. You gotta be kidding me. The other, uh, you know, crazy part of the end of this game was the fumble by Rashad Green. And, you know, this was a close one down to the wire. The Jaguars are driving and, you know, Rashad Green catches the ball and he kind of takes off upfield, you know, one or two steps. And, you know, there was a lot of controversy over this call and the fumble. If you ask me from all the replay views that I saw, the ball was moving before his knee or shin or anything like that touched down. Uh, I think that that was a good call. I think it was a heck of a play by the defense to get in there and get that ball out. And, you know, it's kind of crazy to think about all the games we've had this year that have ended on fumbles or, you know, big plays from the defense kind of securing wins, uh, you know, with everything that's kind of happened this year. And it's kind of fun to see defense have such a big factor. I'm, I'm a defensive guy. I love defense in the NFL. And, you know, I appreciate how hard it is to play defense in the NFL now with all the rule changes and everything, you know, really focused on the offense being successful given fantasy and everything that I've talked about before. But, uh, you know, what a play. I mean, to get that ball out, the ball is moving. And I think that's a key thing with, you know, these fumbles and these catch rules and everything else. I mean, as soon as that ball starts to move around in there out of complete control, of any ball carrier, I mean, that is a fumble. And if your knee is not down yet, man, you are not going to get the benefit of the call. And I hope that it continues that way because when defenders make plays like that and, you know, it's towards the end of the game and they're doing everything that they can, you know, you got to reward these guys with the plays that they make like that one. You know, the ball's moving, his Knee is not down yet. It's a heck of a play, and I'm glad that they withheld that call at the end of the game because it was a heck of a play. And the Jaguars, I mean, you just, I mean, what do you say about the Jaguars? Last year they're in the AFC Championship. You know, they almost come away with a victory to beat the Patriots. And this year, you know, it's just kind of, it's crazy to see, you know, how this defense is playing. They're sitting at, you know, the, the Jaguars right now, they're sitting at three and six. They've lost five straight. I mean, you go on a five game losing streak and you're, you know, you're not going to be very successful in the season. And that's, you know, the Broncos showed you that last year. They're two and three at home. I mean, they haven't really had a lot of home field advantage. And I think the key with a lot of this is that, you know, they didn't make the right moves in the offseason. I mean, they, you know, let Allen Robinson, one of their biggest offensive weapons, walk. Uh, you know, they they stay with Blake Bortles. They extend him. They think, you know, gosh, this guy could really, you know, take the next step and ride this hot defense and really well-built defense to, you know, the promised land. But, you know, at the same time, it's like, yeah, I mean, you can you can do that on certain seasons and, you know, have a perfect team around a quarterback. But is Blake Bortles one of those guys? Has anything that you've seen from Blake Bortles in the past show you that he could win a Super Bowl? 
I mean, if the time is needed for him to get a game-winning drive or in a big-time game to come through for you, is he is he that guy? And I think that was the key when we watched Case Keenum and the Vikings last year. I mean, the Vikings had, I mean, the perfect built team last year for Case Keenum to go on that run. I mean, offensive weapons left and right everywhere you look, defense dominant, you know, very well built in the front seven and, you know, in the secondary. And Case Keenum, you know, comes through in the Minneapolis Miracle. But, you know, if that if that play isn't so perfect, they're not even playing in the NFC Championship against the Eagles. And, you know, they kind of just completely fell apart against the super hot Eagles team last year in the NFC Championship. You know, they go out and they get Kirk Cousins. They think that'll be the next step for them. And, you know, the Vikings, they kind of started the year off a little slow, but, you know, they're kind of finding their groove offensively and, and starting to play a little little better. And I think that they kind of expected to be at the top of the NFC North right now. But, you know, here come the Bears surging. So it's just kind of crazy to see the Jaguars kind of falter after last year. And, you know, they got a lot of players on that defense that I really like and, you know, was rooting for. But, you know, you look at, you know, some of the moves that they made and, you know, Leonard Fournette's injuries and he can't stay on the field. But when he is on the field, he's very productive. But, you know, in the end, it all comes down to Blake Bortles. And I don't know why they've stuck with him for so long. But, you know, when I look at the games and I watch him play, there's just nothing that I've seen from him every year he's been in the league to say, yeah, he's progressed tremendously every year. He's made strides every year. You know, it's just, it's one of those things. The Jaguars might fall back to being the Jaguars and, you know, they may be the uh, first London team that we have in the NFL. So, you know, we'll see what happens there. You gotta be kidding me. Last one I have this week is Baker, Baker, Baker. Baker Mayfield and the Cleveland Browns at home take down the Atlanta Falcons. And this was the one I was kind of talking about a little bit at the beginning of the episode. I took the Cleveland Browns in both of my pickums. I felt that, you know, last week, you know, they lost their coach. Greg Williams steps in as the interim and they, you know, lose one. But I felt this week at home, you know, with another week under Greg Williams to kind of get things situated and back on track after losing Hugh Jackson. I think that, you know, this was a game that was set up for them perfectly against a really weak Atlanta Falcons defense and also an offense that, you know, has really struggled in the red zone. I mean, they're a team that can put up more yards and fantasy stats than anyone in the world, but once they get in that red zone, they really seem to, you know, hinder a little bit. And last week, you know, with Smith and Coleman and, you know, everybody, they really tore it up last week. But this week, you know, the Cleveland Browns defense just really, really shut them down. And Baker Mayfield, I mean, what a game from this guy. He didn't have an incompletion in the first half. He was 17 of 20 for the game, 216 yards and three touchdowns. You know, Nick Chubb is setting records, you know, for rushing and, uh, you know, had 176 yards rushing with just under nine yards average with a touchdown. Uh, you know, he also added a receiving touchdown in there. Duke Johnson, uh, you know, I really think that, you know, this team is, you know, as I've said before, and I keep saying it, you know, the Cleveland Browns, they're building something now that's that's looking productive out there in Cleveland, and they're going to be competitive. And taking down a team like the Atlanta Falcons was a huge victory for them. You know, Atlanta drops below 500. Who knows what's going on with this team? I mean, they were just in the Super Bowl two years ago, and now, you know, they're below 500. 
you know, going into week 11 now in the NFL season. So who knows what's going to happen? You know, Matt Ryan and Julio Jones and, you know, all the players that they have on this team, you would think that they would be so dominant every single week, but, you know, they just can't seem to get it together. And Julio Jones just seems to be one of those guys that, you know, is a in-between-the-20s guy. I mean, it's crazy that this guy does not have, you know, more touchdowns on the season. I think that, you know, with his size, his athleticism, and his talent, he should be scoring, you know, at least one, if not two touchdowns every single week. And you got to find ways to get the ball in his hands at all cost. And, you know, it's it's just kind of... It's kind of crazy how this game played out, but Cleveland Browns, I mean, what a game. Baker Mayfield has got those guys charging. You know, Greg Williams has got those guys fired up. Defense is playing tough. I mean, to hold a team like the Atlanta Falcons to 16 points is, you know, an accomplishment in itself. Getting the victory is, you know, another one on top of that. So congratulations to Baker and the Cleveland Browns. Uh, Heck of a game, and we'll see how they followed up next week. All right, that'll do it for You Gotta Be Kidding Me this week. And, uh, you know, it was kind of, you know, bye weeks are always tough for me because the Broncos aren't playing. And, you know, it's always just such a sad week when the Broncos don't play. But it was also kind of nice this week when the Broncos didn't play because, you know, Sunday I could just relax and enjoy time with my wife. And, you know, we watched some movies and we watched a little bit of football, but I didn't have to worry about you know, the absolute mess that is the Denver Broncos right now. And the best part is that I didn't have to, you know, after the game, be absolutely furious with everything that happened with the Broncos game for an hour or two after the game. So happy about that. It's a bye week. We'll see what happens next week with the Broncos uh, going into Los Angeles to play the Chargers. I mean, big games this weekend. I'll tell you what, the biggest one I think for everybody was the Titans uh, you know, just completely annihilating the Patriots. And that was something, you know, when I was picking this game and I pick them, I looked at it and I go, gosh, you know, Vrabel might have something a little special for the Patriots, kind of like Matt Patricia did when I took Detroit over the Patriots early in the year. But I said, you know what? Tennessee's kind of been here and there. I'm not really sure about those guys. You know, I got to I got to go with the Patriots. And I think, you know, in this game, you look at Tom Brady was 21 for 41 with no touchdowns, 250 yards. They couldn't rush the ball whatsoever. And, you know, they kind of went away from the rush after Tennessee got up so quickly on them. You know, Julian Edelman had a, you know, big game. Josh Gordon had a, you know, big game with some big receptions, but they really weren't able to find a groove on offense. And they just pressured, I mean, they pressured Tom Brady like crazy. I mean, Mike Vrabel had it dialed up to just pressure Tom Brady 24-7. You know, big game by Marcus Mariota. He only threw 24 times. 16-24, two touchdowns. You know, they really controlled the game with the running game. Deion Lewis, the expatriate, you know, went out there and had 57 yards. Only 2.9 average, but he rushed it 20 times. Uh, you know, Derrick Henry had the big game, 58 yards on 11 carries, two touchdowns. They kind of did the little wildcat to him on the one touchdown and, you know, just kind of, you know, controlled the game. And I think defense really, you know, was the big factor. I mean, Wesley Williard had a sack and a half. Logan Ryan had a sack. I mean, they were just pressuring Tom Brady like crazy. And you could tell that, you know, that was the key. That's always been the key to beating the Patriots is really putting the pressure on Tom Brady and, you know, making him uncomfortable in the pocket. I mean, 
for that Titans defense to shut out the Patriots in the second half, I mean, that is a testament to what Mike Vrabel did. You know, the adjustments he made at halftime. The Patriots are one of the absolute best teams in the entire league in probably history when it comes to second half adjustments, getting back on track, finding new different ways to attack the defense. And for them to get shut out in the second half, I mean, just tremendous job by the Titans. What a game they had. And now, you know, we look at Marcus Mariota, who everyone was ready to write off last year. And Mike Vrabel and the coaching staff has come in and they've really you know, been able to find kind of a groove with Marcus Mariota and what he can do and what he does well and trying to contain, you know, his running and keep him composed, not getting the big hits. You know, he rushed two times for 21 yards. You know, if you break the pocket and you can, you know, get first downs and make yards, I mean, that's awesome. But, you know, for them to control the game with the running game, not ask Marcus Mariota to go out there and put it all on his shoulders. He was very, very efficient, looked very good. And, you know, the Patriots just, you know, they, they dropped to seven and three. I mean, they're still a top team in the AFC. They're going to rebound from this very easily. But, um, you know, definitely an amazing game by the Titans in Tennessee this week to take down the Patriots. And I'm sure Mike Vrabel, uh, you know, that one felt really, really good for him going up against uh you know his old coach and coordinator Bill Belichick and you know the history that they've had winning all their Super Bowls um you know I'm sure there was nothing malicious malicious whatsoever but uh definitely a big win for for him and his team uh I mean moving on the Bears I mean what more can you say about the Chicago Bears I mean if if you've been listening to me all season you know hi I've been on the Bears I mean the defense what they've been able to do with and without Khalil Mack, I mean, they're they're just tremendous. And you really see the offense coming along now um, and matching that. And you look at, you know, Mitch Trubisky, you know, the Bears moved up, gave up the world to draft this guy out of North Carolina. He'd only played 12 games in college and had a, you know, kind of rough first year. But, you know, Mitch Trubisky is really coming into his own He's got some great offensive weapons around him. I mean, you look at Jordan Howard and Tariq Cohen and Allen Robinson, who they picked up, Anthony Miller, Trey Burton, the tight end they got from Philly. Uh, you know, they Taylor Gabriel, you know, he didn't do much against the Lions, but he's been a big asset to them in the offense as well, you know, getting him from the Falcons. And so, you know, you look at the efficiency, you know, that they've played with offensively in a lot of these games. And how you know dominant their defense is. I mean, to be at six and three is really a testament to Chicago Bears in a division where you had no idea what was going to happen, but you kind of thought you know it was going to be the same old story of you know Vikings surging now after last year and Aaron Rodgers and the Packers being right there at the top battling it out, and now you got Chicago Bears at the top. The Packers faltering a little bit and, you know, the Vikings finding their groove going to try and, you know, fight for that division title against the Bears. So we will see what happens. But Mitchell Trubisky, I mean, just what a year he's had. And to put it into perspective for you, when you look at the 2018 regular season as a whole, when you look at your total QBR rating, so that's not the regular QBR that goes up to like 158.3 or some weird rating. The total QBR is just 0 to 100. So it kind of puts it a little bit easier into perspective for everyone not understanding everything that goes into QBR. Um, But if you look at 
the total QBR for the 2018 season across the board up until now, Mitchell Trubisky is number four in the NFL in total QBR. Number four. He's only behind Drew Brees at number one, Patrick Mahomes number two, and Phillip Rivers number three. Mitchell Trubisky is sitting at number four. He's ahead of number five, Jared Goff, who has talked about being MVP candidate. Number six, Matt Ryan, who, I mean, is talked about Matty Ice. I mean, he's one of the greatest quarterbacks in the league, you know, MVP candidate before, uh, you know, everything that goes along with the Falcons. Number seven, Ben Roethlisberger, two-time Super Bowl champion and Ben Roethlisberger, and Mitchell Trubisky is ahead of him. Ryan Fitzpatrick is number eight. I mean, kind of crazy to think about all the interceptions that they throw down there in, in Tampa Bay, and Ryan Fitzpatrick is still number eight in total QBR. Andrew Luck, number one overall pick at number nine. Mitchell Trubisky's ahead of him. Carson Wentz at number 10, number two overall pick like Mitchell Trubisky. He's ahead of him. Tom Brady, number 11, he's ahead of him. At Kirk Cousins, I mean, $86 million man, he's ahead of him. I mean, it's just kind of crazy to look at, you know, the total QBR and how efficient Mitchell Trubisky has been and what he's been able to do with this offense riding the back of that defense and how dominant they've been. And, you know, just for fun, Case Keenum is at number 27 on this list throughout the entire season. So, you know, whatever that means to you. Last thing here, um, you know, we'll look at, you know, last night's game. I mean, the Cowboys and Eagles divisional game, you know, in Philly, heck of an atmosphere. I mean, they were out in force. And, you know, as I've been talking a few times this year, I mean, the Cowboys defense is for real. And, you know, they have lost a few games I feel more because of offense than defense their defense has been you know very very good especially late in games and I'm not totally you know done and ready to write off the Eagles I think that they still have a very good team in place I think with Carson Wentz at the helm you know he's trying to kind of get back into a groove and, you know, I think what shocked me most last night about the Eagles is Golden Tate goes in there, new acquisition. They had the bye week last week to get him, you know, kind of up to speed in the offense. And he has two catches for 19 yards and was on the sideline for a lot of the game. And I think, you know, you bring in a talented guy like Golden Tate, I mean, a possession receiver, a guy that averages, you know, eight to 10 receptions every single game. And, you know, you don't really give them a chance out there to get, you know, going in this game. And I think, you know, you look at, you know, Nelson Algalar had a big game, you know, five catches, 83 yards. Obviously, Zach Ertz is, you know, the number one target for Carson Wentz up there. He had a huge game, 14 receptions, 145 yards, two touchdowns. But Alshon Jeffrey, you know, four catches. Jordan Matthews, three catches. Jordan Matthews' catches were big turning points in the game, too. I mean, those came at a big time. But to have a guy like Golden Tate just sitting on the sideline, I mean, you had an entire bye week to get this guy ready to go and acclimated with the offense. And, I mean, he was barely on the field. You don't, you know, find ways to get the ball in his hand, get him comfortable, get him going with Carson Wentz. I mean, you look at, you know, the Texans last week, they get Demarius Thomas from the Broncos. They had three days to get him ready to go. And their first two plays 
were to Demarius Thomas. I mean, they wanted to get him loose, get him going. Obviously, it was a little different being back in Denver his first week after being traded. But, I mean, you got to do things like that with Golden Tate. I mean, this guy is a game changer. He's a possession receiver. He's going to get you first downs. He's going to make plays. You got to get the ball in his hands. And, you know, I think that they need to do a better job of setting up you know, in the first 20 plays of the game, you got to set up two, three, four of those plays directly to Golden Tate and get the ball in his hands, get him and Carson Wentz comfortable with each other as early as you can in the game. Because Carson Wentz has got to know that, you know, Golden Tate's going to be one of those safety blankets for him. I know Zach Ertz is the safety blanket, and that's a great safety blanket to have, but Golden Tate is going to be that next guy for you. You know, Nelson Aguilar is coming you know, into his own. He's getting a little bit better every single year. Obviously, Alshon Jeffrey is a big target, big threat, but, you know, you could really have something special in the passing game now, adding Golden Tate to that entire mix and getting a lot of different guys open and finding ways to get them the ball because, you know, it just doesn't seem like there's enough balls to go around. And with their rushing game, you know, they really haven't been you know, too good with it. They try and stick to the passing game. Carson Wentz is their guy. They want him to kind of be the focal point. And, you know, it's kind of hard to know who their running back is, you know, at this point right now. I mean, last night in the game, Josh Adams had seven carries. Corey Clement had five. Smallwood had two. You know, they weren't really running the ball at all. I mean, you're talking 16 rushing attempts to 44 pass attempts. And, you know, I mean, Carson Wentz is efficient. I mean, he was 32 of 44. He did have the one interception. But, you know, you got to find some balance there. You got to find some different ways to get guys the ball in this offense to be efficient. And I think that's something that they're lacking a little bit right now and that they had last year, you know, during that Super Bowl run with Nick Foles, you know, it was one of those things where you were kind of moving around and having fun with the offense because you didn't want to rely on Nick Foles to do everything for you. And, you know, this year you're not seeing that creativity in the offense because it's like, well, we have Carson Wentz back, so we'll just put it all on his shoulders and let him take us to the promised land, which is not a bad idea, but don't completely rely on that. You know, Carson Wentz is a guy who in clutch moments is going to make plays, who is a great quarterback, but at the same time, you know, give him, you know, some of those trick plays and, you know, some of that creativity when it comes to the offense to try and, you know, take a little pressure off of him I mean he is coming off of an injury he has great weapons all around him you just got to find ways to use them in the proper way to be successful and you look at you know the Dallas Cowboys go up to four and five the Philadelphia Eagles drop to four and five I mean you look at that division the Giants are out of it you got the Eagles and Cowboys there at four and five and then you got the Redskins you know at six and three and the Redskins are playing efficient. I mean, they're three and one away, uh, you know, away from home. They're playing well. And when you look at the rest of the NFC, I mean, you might have to win this division to get into the playoffs. Because when you look at you know where the wild cards are going to come from, I mean, you got the Panthers at six and three right now. You got the Vikings at five, three and one, and they're you know playing well, looking a lot better. Seahawks are at four and five. Cowboys are at four and five. Eagles are at four and five. So, you know, the, the wild cards may be coming from the NFC and the NFC North and the NFC South. 
And the NFC East may just have the division winner coming out of there. And right now it looks like the Redskins because, you know, the Cowboys are on and off on offense every single week. You don't know what you're going to get. The Eagles have kind of been similar in that sense. And the Redskins have kind of been, you know, a little bit more consistent. I mean, they've had some big losses. They've had some tough ones and close wins. But, you know, they've at least been a little bit more consistent, you know, in their games every single week compared to these other two teams. So, you know, a lot of divisional games left, a lot of games left to be played, but, you know, it, it could be, you know, one of those where the Eagles being a Super Bowl champion don't even make it back to the playoffs the next year and a new reign in the NFC will definitely take in place. And there's no need to argue about that. All right, you guys. Well, that'll do it for me. Thank you all for listening. Uh, you know, check out the game tonight. We got the the Giants and the 49ers. You know, I know it's not the you know greatest matchup in the world, but you know we do have some big time players in this game. Obviously, Saquon Barkley has been absolutely awesome to watch. You know, play this year. You look at you know Nick Mullins, uh, three touchdowns last week. You know what a game he had against Oakland Raiders. We'll see what he's able to do against the Giants this week. You know, not the best defense over there for the Giants. So, you know, Mullins could be looking for another great week. And what a great way to start his career with, uh, you know, the two defenses and teams that he gets to start playing against with two primetime games. But, uh, you know, going to be fun, going to be, you know, another game of football. I mean, I can't complain when NFL football is on TV. So definitely check it out. I will definitely be checking you guys out on Thursday. I know I said that last week and I didn't, but uh, I promise I will be there on Thursday to look at the week ahead. We'll make some picks. We'll have some fun and uh, we'll definitely get into uh, some of the uh, fun, crazy drama that's going on in the NBA. Some moves, some trades, some things that are said to have be coming up here in this week. So uh, definitely stay tuned for some of that, that, uh, that action. But uh, thank you guys so much for listening. I really do appreciate it. Enjoy the game tonight. I will check you out on Thursday and uh, take care. Thank you all so much for listening again. Until next time, I'm Kobe Wittick, and there's no need to argue about that.